This episode of the Future Cities podcast is proudly supported by WSP Opus, creating what matters for future generations. In this episode of the WSP Opus Future Cities podcast, modern day wizard Christian Jensen shares his story about how he got into his career, how he deliberately blew a few things up, and how he spent more time being paid to prevent things blowing up. In this episode, we discuss the role electricity plays in our future cities. My name is Will Fleming. I'm your host for the podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. So my name is Christian Janssen. I'm a project director with WSP Opus. And as a project director, I get involved in anything and everything. My background, 13 years hard rock mining, kilometer down below blowing up stuff. Uh, and then also working right through up into altitude with diesel generators, freezing, those kind of problems. And then another 17 years in heavy industry, dealing with the infrastructure and basically keeping things running. Why did you choose this as a lifelong passion job? I've always enjoyed engineering and to me, you want things to work. Uh, and often what you see is the superficial front of it when it works smoothly. And of course you get upset when the lights go off and it doesn't work. So yeah, I've always enjoyed the background, the infrastructure, the engineering side of the challenge. And like I've mentioned to you before, Will, uh, technology is easy, it's people that are the problem. <laughs> Love it. EVs, what is that? Okay, so that's the electric vehicle. and. Uh, As technology has progressed, this has become wider and wider. So that could be anything from your little electric scooter on the pavement now, and you see a lot more of them around, e-bikes, which are proving very popular, the traditional electric vehicle where people kind of think a passenger car, but we've now got EV buses that's expanding out into super heavy vehicles. Uh, So your heavy transport, your big cargo trucks, And much more recently, we've now also got aircraft, which are prototyping the whole EV side of things, battery storage, uh, electricity uh, at altitude, so to speak. Uh, So it's, it's a very broad range, and they all have similar challenges because everything comes back to performance, and performance comes back to power to weight. Simple as that. And you're personally passionate about New Zealand having more EVs? Yeah, I I think it's one of the solutions that we certainly need to have a look at. We need to get it right. So to do that, we've got to have the infrastructure, the power behind it, right from the generation, transmission, distribution, so that when you do arrive with your electric vehicle, you can plug it in, it charges. I mean, when you go to the fuel station, do you want to sit there and wait for a tanker to come before you can put petrol in? So exactly the same with your EV. You want to be able to rock up, plug in, get a fast charge, and get where you're going. So yeah, definitely we need to get that right, and we have... We have a pretty good foundation in place, but we've still got some work to do. I get the sense that you're pretty big on things have to work for everybody. Oh yeah, and I mean, as a kid, some of my fondest memories was kind of playing with the broken scale electrics and getting it sorted, getting it working, and realizing that you actually have to have a transformer to feed this thing to keep it working. And then you suddenly realize, hey, these things are quiet, they're fast. And I didn't know it at the time, but they're actually very cheap to run. So now you put that in terms of your passenger vehicle, 
and think, yeah, let's, let's actually get this working. So yeah, for New Zealand, combination of technologies, combination of renewable generation, and I think we've got some winning solutions there. Bit of hydrogen, bit of electricity, all good. 2019, could New Zealand turn off the gas supply and go full EV? No. We do have some challenges. So part of that resolves around where are these vehicles going to sit to be charged? How do we get the power to them? Uh, how do we keep them operating? And how do we get the range that we need? The other part of it, which is a little bit more complex, is that it's not just the transmission that would be a limitation. Uh, we can beef that up. But the problem is that everybody wants to do things at the same time. Now, you and I, we all eat dinner roughly that six to seven period. So we have a huge spike on the demand. And it's what they refer to as the duck curve. Looks like the back of a duck with a head sitting between six and seven. And that's when we have a massive power demand. When you spread it across the day, we've probably got enough energy. Do we necessarily have it in the right place at the right time? That's the challenge. And then, of course, the other part behind it is you're going to pay for that investment. How are you going to recoup the money you've put into it? And how do you deal with those aspects as to what's going to be loaded and what's going to be idle? Because what you've got to think about is that an EV is not a static load. It's not like your house. It's always there. We know where it is. It's not going anywhere. But your EV is a little bit different. Do you charge it at home? Do you charge it at work? Do you go charge it at the supermarket? So now where is it? When's it going to be? And like I said earlier, when you plug it in, you want it to work. Is it something like our cell phones? We've had to kind of, they dominate a little bit. You can't go out of battery range for three or four days. You've got to think about that. Yeah, and you've, you've always got a charger in your pocket. Now I want a fast charger, yeah, and uh, that charger won't work with that phone. We've got some similar issues there. That's actually quite a good parallel. Um, and yes, sit and have a look at our landscape and think about the antenna, the aerials that you see on the horizon. And bear in mind that's 4G. You want 5G, you want fast video, great, we can do that for you. But it means we've got to put more antennas. I reckon you'll eventually see an antenna on every corner because that's how you can get fast video through to the phone, shorten the transmission distances, increase the bandwidth, increase the through rate. So now for your EV, you have to have the same kind of infrastructure, perhaps not quite as in your face as that is, because it'll be existing infrastructure that's strengthened, improved, a few more transformers tucked behind the wall somewhere, but it's going to have to be installed and operated. And speaking of kind of renewable energy, how does New Zealand's network compare with other developed nations? Now, in terms of renewable generation, New Zealand's done pretty well. We have a lot of hydro, we have a um, growing amount of wind, uh, we have a certain amount of geothermal, which is kind of one of those that crosses over between is it a renewable... Uh, yes, it is in the short term, but in the long term, it's reliant on the heat from the Earth. But to be honest, when the Earth's cold, I hope that we're going to be on some other planets out there as well. So, yeah, so we're, we're pretty good. And you could roughly say somewhere between 60 and 65% of our electricity is renewable. It is based on rainfall, mostly the hydro generation down in the South Islands. 
Uh, with extra growth and geothermal, there's a couple of new exciting projects coming up through the pipeline. So that's, that's good. When we look at other countries, some of them have a, a much more difficult road to follow because they're still burning coal, still using fossil fuels at a much greater amount. Some of them, such as Germany, uh, very well developed, uh, very good transmission network, but they're struggling with the issue about what do we do with atomic energy. In the short term, very low carbon footprint, but in the long term, what do we do with the used nuclear fuel? How sustainable is it? And possibly somebody will come up with a good solution for that and we'll have a, like a tokamak reactor, five megawatts, you know, drop it in a hole at the bottom of your garden and you've got fantastic energy for the rest of your life. But at the moment, that's still a bit of science fiction. Is it true that EVs may not be actually cheaper to run than petrol vehicles? Yeah, there's, there's a bit of gossip running around on that. Now, you, you need to be careful about what you define as what's the expense and what's cheaper. So let's have a look at things. So if you walk into a secondhand market, buy a car, all you're actually interested in is what is my running costs you know, what's my electricity versus my petrol? What do I have to pay the mechanic to keep this running? What's going to happen with my tires? And at some stage, when do I have to replace the battery pack? So if I came to you and said, here's an electric vehicle, it'll do 500,000 kilometers versus a petrol vehicle that will do, what, 200 to 300,000 kilometers, and then we throw it away? Yeah, now things become quite a bit more interesting. The other question we've got to ask is, as a global community, what does it actually cost us to extract the rare earth minerals for those magnets in the system? What does it cost us for the mining and operation to get all of those other minerals for the batteries, the copper for the motors, etc.? And how do we add that in the mix? And is that less of a cost than what we're doing with the fossil fuels? So yeah, at the end of the day, I think as a man sitting in the public arena, I think the price of electric vehicles needs to come down. I need to have some infrastructure where I can travel around and not have a worry about I'm not gonna be able to recharge it. And I think you'll then find because of the demand, the electric vehicle prices will come down. And as a result of that, you'll find that your comparison between the two will become almost irrelevant. Um, like I say, where are you drawing your life cycle costs from? How are you going to cost it? And when you start comparing that and working it through, and what do you allocate as a cost of carbon released to the atmosphere? Uh, start putting that in for your fuel vehicles and you'll find that your EV actually comes out very well. So the consumer will, they will tell us. Absolutely. It's one thing to work, but it's another thing to work for people, right? Agreed. And remember what I was saying uh, earlier, you, you have to look at why would they do it, what's convenient, what's not convenient. And remember, sometimes the answer to convenience versus efficiency is not always an easy question to answer because people don't do things just because that's what the government says we should be doing. They'll do it because it works for them, it's convenient, it fits their lifestyle, and it fits their whole uh, intention for life. So we've got electric buses, trains, 
planes as well? Yeah, so some prototypes running around at the moment. Um, and again, it's one of these things that often starts off with, we're seeing a lot of electric drones or unmanned aerial vehicles. They're EVs. And it used to be you'd only get 10, 15 minutes flight time. Now you're getting 20, 30 minutes flight time, and they're carrying quite a substantial payload that they never used to be able to. So again, demand is pushing the technology. We're getting better electric motors, um, better aerodynamics, and as a result, better use out of the technology. So yes, they're coming. In terms of fixed-wing aircraft, some of the big manufacturers like Boeing are seriously looking at this and saying, okay, first step, we go to biofuels, we reduce our emissions, we reduce our dependence on a fossil fuel, we go to renewable fuel. Next step is maybe we take off with the biofuel and once we're up, we use a battery storage system to run on electric. Uh, there's, there's quite a few different ideas out there. Again prototypes, a lot of it is sort of cutting edge stuff. It'll be a while before we see it, but I think it'll come. Just in closing, two things. Well, firstly, what's what's kind of one thing future looking or future forward that's, that's exciting you? I think we're going to see more generation um, from our ocean resource. So there you could see wave power, uh, you could see marine current power. It's a lot more of a compact answer because you can get a lot more density in terms of power per unit size. The challenge is there, corrosion, hands down. And I think we're going to have to see some advances in the material science before we can get some really clever materials that deal with that. But you, th you think about what's happened with carbon fiber as it's come through, started off, it was only specialist racing industry who could afford it. Then it went into the super yachts. Now you can buy a carbon fiber bonnet for your car. So, you know, things are moving down that way. And I think we'll see the same there as well, that breakthrough in one area bleeds over into another area and we'll be able to use it. So for me, that would be really exciting because now you've got some serious generation power. And finally, what's a project that you've worked on for WSP Opus that, you know, maybe it's your favorite project or a memorable one? There have been a couple of really good ones recently. Um, we've, we've had one where we're looking at 430 kilowatt fast charger for a bus. Now to give you an idea of the scale of that, uh, each house typically will draw say two, two and a half kilowatts. We're talking 430 kilowatts in one charger. So 200 homes stuffed into one bus. Uh, but in 20 minutes, you've charged your bus and off it can go 65 people down the route up and down the hills. Some challenges around that in terms of how do we deal with height and clearances because it's a double-decker bus. Some challenges around it in that we want the substation to be safe. We've got young school children. We've got to make sure that a barefoot child, wet, straight out the swimming pool, who happens to be touching the equipment when the lightning strikes, they're still safe. So yeah, for me, that was actually a good project and we've, we've rolled through others of a similar nature but on a smaller scale. EV chargers in public spaces, um, transport hubs, supermarkets, commercial hubs, that sort of thing. And we're beginning to see more fleet owners look at it and say, 
how do we have a fleet of these vehicles running and how do we charge them? Because you've got a company car, you want to charge it at work. You don't charge it at home. So yeah, again, people come into the technology every time. This episode of the Future Cities podcast is proudly supported by WSP Opus. Creating what matters for future generations.